Are you glad you came this morning? Amen. What a wonderful time of worship. Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. So where we left off last Sunday was Proverbs 6. And boy, am I thankful to get to preach this Sunday morning. And it's because this morning's sermon is a follow-up to last Sunday morning's sermon. Last Sunday morning sermon was titled, This is How We Hate. And I, I think that may have caught some folks off guard that in this family series of This Is How We Family, that we would talk about This Is How We Hate. And yet we needed to hear that because in order to get a, a right perspective on godly love, we have to understand what godly hate is. And so in Proverbs chapter 6, we looked at six things that God hates. No, seven Things that God hates, haughty eyes, uh, lying lips, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil plans, feet that are quick to run to it, a false witness that breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates those things, and we understood that the reason that God hates them is because they're all an affront to the character of God. They're all in rebellion to his authority but also, in understanding what God hates, we talked about the fact that God loves you so much that the reason he hates those things is because they hurt you and they hurt others. And so, see, we can't understand what God hates until we understand how much God loves us. And then we ended that sermon by talking about, and it's not for us to hate that in others, it's for us to hate in ourselves, I'm not supposed to look at someone else and say, yeah, I, I just hate the pride in his life or I hate the, the lying heart that he's, lying lips that he's got. No, it is for me. Those things are written so that I would examine my own heart and hate the sin that is in me. Okay, so that was last week's sermon, This is How We Hate. We need to follow it with This is How We Love. And so the way that we're going to look at this, because again, we're going to stay right there in Proverbs. I want us to read the verse that's kind of going to be our launching pad. That's in Proverbs 10. And then for point one, we'll look at Proverbs 7. Point two, we'll look at Proverbs 9. And then we'll end back at Proverbs 10 for the last point. And so we need to hear this because, again, this is a family series. And we, we talk a lot about love and family. Or at least we should. We got to have two of our grandkids on Thursday night. They spent the night with us. And so, you know, as you're putting them to bed, I love you, Walt. Murphy, we love you. We talk about love. And with my wife, I tell my wife I love her. She made a blackberry and peach cobbler last night. I said, I love this. I mean, we use the word love a lot. But then we are watching TV we're watching the news and we see someone doing something and we think, yeah, boy, I don't love that person. I sure don't love that guy for what he's doing. And all of a sudden we start thinking, I'm not for sure I actually know what love is. Especially godly love. Because if this morning we're thinking, well, I love people in my family. That's good. We need to love people in our family. I love people in my church. That's great. We need to love people in our church family. But if you're saying, so pretty much 
I do love those who love me. When the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, what's that? The heathen do that. Folks, if this morning, if we come out of this sermon, if we come out of this time of worship saying, well, okay, I, I, I want you to know I do love people who love me back. If that's what we come out with, then please, let's not waste our time. Let's set the Bible down now and go home. We don't need God. We don't need a Savior if we're just supposed to love the ones who love us. If I'm just supposed to love the people that agree with me. If I'm just supposed to love the people that are on the same side of the aisle as me. If we're supposed to just love the people who act like me. We don't need a Savior to do that. Jesus said the heathen do that. And so we've got to get this right because Jesus has told us a new command I give you. Love one another. And then listen to what he adds. As I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. As I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. He then said, by this shall everyone know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so, folks, we've, we've got to figure this out. What is godly love? Proverbs chapter 10. Again, we're going to launch off from there. Proverbs chapter 10, we're going to read a single verse of Scripture. Here we go. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I cannot do this without you. Lord, I pray that the love of Jesus Christ would be seen In my heart, Lord, I pray that the truth in love would be spoken this morning. Lord, I pray that someone today would experience the love of God. As Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, I pray that together with all the saints, that you would comprehend the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of God's love in Jesus Christ for you. Lord, I pray that someone would pass from death into life this morning. That just like Nora said, yes, I follow Jesus, Lord, I pray that today someone would begin a journey of following Jesus Christ. And so may you receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so here we go for point number one. In order to understand what godly love is, I want us to first understand what godly love is not. Sometimes it's easier to understand what something is if we first see what it's not. All right, so Proverbs chapter 7, go with me, and there is a single verse that I want you to see in Proverbs chapter 7. Look at verse 18 with me. Proverbs 7, verse 18. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Now stop there. Stop there. Just read verse 18. Listen to it again. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. And we think, what a beautiful thought. What a wonderful thought. As a matter of fact, I'm going to submit that to Hallmark. And next year for Valentine's, it could be a million-dollar seller. Come, let us take our fill of love. Man, that's a beautiful sentiment. As a matter of fact, that could even be the theme for a Christian marriage retreat. Listen to it. 
Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Until you read the next verse. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. And all of a sudden we think, oh, okay, well, well wait a minute. That's, that's, that's not godly love. Because she's being selfish and manipulative. She's trying to get the young man to do something that is outside the bounds and behaviors that God has established. And so here's point number one. Godly love is not contrary to the boundaries and behaviors of love that God has established in his word. Godly love is not contrary to the boundaries and behaviors of love that God has established in his word. You see, that's the trouble with taking a verse out of context. If we just read verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love, we think, well, that's a wonderful thing. But then all of a sudden, you read the context, and you realize, oh, wait a minute, because in verse 13, it says, she seizes him. Did you know that in the Hebrew, that, ver- that phrase that we translate, she seizes him, can literally mean the trap door snaps shut. She captures him. It's why the, the passage ends, look at, verse, uh, look at verse 22. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Folks, godly love does not lead to destruction. It doesn't lead to ruin. Godly love leads to life. Godly love is meant to encourage someone towards the love of God. That's what godly love is meant to do. And folks, the reason that we need to hear this is because in our world right now, we're hearing the phrase, love is love. Love is love. It doesn't matter. But you see, if someone were to come to me and say, hey, I've got two friends and they're in love and what should they do next? Well, do you, I, I guess I could answer, live happily ever after because love is love. Well, I can't say that because I've got to know what's the context. Because we just saw here in Proverbs chapter 7, she's trying to seduce him because her husband's not home. She's going to be committing adultery. She says, let's love each other. That's not godly love. And so we've got to know the context. Because we can't just say love is love. Bachman Turner Overdrive, 1974. You remember the song, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet? In that song twice, they say, any loving is good loving. Any loving's good loving. Okay. The Bible says that's, that's not true. Because godly love is not contrary to the boundaries and behaviors of love that God has established in his word. Here's the second thing. So I want us to see in Proverbs 9. So now go with me to Proverbs chapter 9. I want you to look at a single verse of Scripture and and listen to Proverbs 9, verse 8. 
Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. All right, now everyone really hone in here. If you're watching online, I I know sometimes at home it can be kind of distracting, but really hone in here. In point number one, I wanted us to see what godly love is not. In this verse, it's helping us understand how the world views love. And so everyone note that what I'm about to say is how the world defines love, how the world views love. And the world says, love is affirming and approving my choices. The world says, love is affirming and approving my choices. And so here's what we hear in the world. If you don't affirm or approve the decision that I've made, then you don't love me. And yet, Proverbs 9, verse 8 says this, Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So that tells me that reproof, correction, rebuke, and love can go together. As a matter of fact, folks, I want you to know God does it to me all the time. God loves me, and yet he rebukes me. He reproves me. You can go in the Old Testament with his own children. God would over and over reprove, rebuke, correct his own children, and yet his love for them was perfect. You can go to the story of David and Bathsheba when she was caught in adultery. God sent Nathan, the prophet, to go talk to David. God, in his perfect, infinite love for David, sent Nathan, the prophet, not to affirm the choices that David was making in his life, but instead to rebuke him. Love and reproof can go together. But instead, what we're hearing right now is if you don't affirm the lifestyle I've chosen, if you don't affirm who I am, then that means you don't love me. And that is not true. You get to the New Testament. Jesus meets the woman at the well. He says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right when you said, I don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands And the man you're with now is not your husband. So you're right. You're right in saying, I I don't have a husband. Friends, I want you to know that was not an affirmation of the choices that she had made in life. When you get to Jesus and Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to go to your house today and eat with you. Within three verses later, Zacchaeus is saying to Jesus, Jesus, Half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Folks, he's not doing that because Jesus affirmed the choices that he had been making in life. But instead, Jesus was calling the woman out at the well out of her sin. He was calling the woman caught in adultery out of her sin. He was calling Zacchaeus out of her sin. But what we're hearing is, if you don't affirm and approve my choices, that means you don't love me. And that is not true. 
It's not true. The Southern Baptist Convention has an Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And, and what that commission is to do is to keep us aware of political issues that are going on that would affect uh, believers. It, it deals with moral and ethical issues, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. There's a, an article that a man named Mike Geke, G-O-E-K-E, Mike Geke wrote this article, first-person article. And normally, you guys, you know I would not take time to read such a lengthy, but I, I want us to hear this. Because, again, we're dealing with the point. The world says love means, love is affirming and approving my choices. Mike writes, in 1996, I was a 30-year-old committed Christian and husband who had struggled with same-sex attraction for as long as I could remember. I began researching homosexuality in hopes that I would find something to help me. In my search, I discovered a book that outlined a new, new-to-me, gay-affirming theology. Gay-affirming theology was newer then and much more on the fringe, but that did not matter. My ears were tickled as I was indoctrinated into a feelings-based theology. I had my green light from God, and I left my wife in pursuit of a new life as a gay man. As I have thought about this, I have been reminded of that season in my life 21 years ago when I was deeply offended by my friends and family. Gay-affirming theology had emboldened me, and at some level, I hoped everyone in my world would be as enlightened as I thought I had become. But neither my wife nor my friends and family were swayed by my feelings. They loved me, but they did not affirm me in my newly claimed identity. Offended by much of Christianity, I walked away from the people who loved me, and I walked away from the church. But today, I am so grateful to my wife, my parents and family, and my friends who cared enough about me to offend me. It is hard to even imagine what the ramifications in my life would be had the people in my world bought into the lie that to love me was to affirm me in my sin. When I left my wife, she boldly told me that she knew God could work in me and in our marriage and that she would not pursue divorce. She protected her interest, but always professed her love for me and her desire to work through our issues together. My parents and other family members had told me that what I was doing was wrong. They bought books and other materials and tried to get me to talk to a counselor. They also called frequently to check on me sent me money when I needed it, came to see me on my birthday and flew me home for holidays. My friends drove or flew hours to talk to me about what I was doing, to share their biblical convictions with me, and to try and convince me to turn from the life I was living. 
They also sent me cards and letters full of love and affirmation of our friendship. And each of them offended me and made me angry. I viewed them as bigoted, unenlightened, ignorant, prejudiced, and hateful. If they truly loved me, I told them, they would accept and affirm me in the life I was living. I did my best to sever my relationships with those who were offending me, but they would not let me go. They did not coddle me, but they refused to give up on me. Friends, all all I can imagine is that those people loved him. They loved him. Couldn't affirm or approve the choices. But they loved him. And so we affirm everyone. We affirm that they are created in the image of God. We we affirm that they were knitted together in their mother's womb. We affirm that God loves them. We affirm that Jesus died for them. We affirm our love for them. We affirm our friendship with them. But friends, we cannot fall into the trap of if you love me, then you have to affirm my choices. Because this passage of scripture is showing us that to reprove and to love go hand in hand. Love does not mean I will always gain or give acceptance. And so here's our last point. Proverbs 10, verse 18, here's what it says. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Friends, when when King Solomon wrote that, love covers. He's, He's taking us to Isaiah chapter 43 where God says to us, I, I am the one who will blot out your transgressions. Because that word that King Solomon uses there in the Hebrew where it says love covers, it means to conceal something to hide something so that it's not seen. God says to you, I will blot out your transgressions. And that happened on the cross of Jesus Christ when he shed his blood and his blood covers my sin. Friends, it is not that God excuses our sin. It's not that God sweeps it under the rug. It's not that he exempts us from our sin or explains away our sin. That is cheap. But instead, God loves us so much that his own son died. And in the shedding of his blood, his blood by faith in Christ covers my sin. So that now when Jesus looks at me, When the judge of this entire universe, when he looks at me, he no longer sees my sin, but instead he sees me covered in his blood and I stand faultless before the throne. 
love covers all offenses. And so, friends, here's the last point. So what is godly love? Godly love is the selfish, sacrificial love that Christ showed us on the cross. Godly love is a reflection of the selfless, sacrificial love that Christ showed us on the cross. That is love. That even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. And so, friends, I can't ever say anymore, well, I know I'm saved. I know the love of God is in me. But until that guy, until that girl, unless they change, I'm not going to love them. God loved me even while I was a sinner. That is godly love. It's a reflection of the selfless, sacrificial love that Christ showed us on the cross. And so, friends, it can't be any more that we look at each other with our worldly, natural eyes. But instead, we've got to say, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am a new creation. By the blood of Jesus Christ, I have been cleansed of all my sin. By the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm no longer condemned. By the blood of Jesus Christ, I now stand justified before God. By the blood of Jesus Christ, I can talk with the Father. By the blood of Jesus Christ, I can worship the Father. All because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That blood changes everything. And because it changed my relationship with the Father, the blood of Christ, it now changes my relationship with everyone else. So it's no more, well, do you love me? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you agree with me on this certain issue? Because if you do, then yes, I love. No longer do I love people on the basis of, are we on the same side of the aisle? Do we vote alike? Do you think like me? Do we go to the same school? No longer, that can't be the basis. But instead, the basis is the blood of Jesus Christ. How, how can you love me? You know I don't even like you. How can you say you love me? Because God loves me. His love is in me, and I can love you. How can you forgive me? Because God has forgiven me. It's what Paul meant in Ephesians 4.32 when he says, Be kind, tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That's what he's calling us to. And so, go back with me now several years. Our son Drew was in high school. He was on the golf team. He was at one of the Lincoln courses. I'm not a golfer, so I don't know which one. But there's a road that kind of winds its way through the Lincoln golf course. And the, the, the young man that my son was competing against was from Edmond. And that young man had teed up on the tee box, had his driver, and he pulled it back. And in mid-swing, a man driving a car that had pulled into a spot honked at him while he was in mid-swing. That young man stopped his swing in mid-swing, and he changed his stance and then drove that ball as hard as he could at that man's car. 
And so I'm the adult in the group. And so I stand and I see this. Thankfully, the ball missed that guy's car. But it didn't matter. The affront had already been done. That man got out of his car carrying a baseball bat, and he's walking towards us. And so I'm standing there watching this thing unfold, and here goes this kid from Edmond walking towards this guy carrying a golf club. And I run towards him, and I say, you right now, I didn't even know him, but I said, turn and walk the other way. And I got between that kid and that man. Now, if you're asking, well, what were you going to do? I had the same thought. I can assure you, what am I going to do? But as he's walking, to, I said, sir, I'm so sorry for what just happened. I'm so sorry. He should not have done that. He didn't know what he was doing. Please let this go. Thankfully, he advised me on what I should say to that young man and then he went back to his car folks this last point that I shared with you is godly love is a reflection of the selfless sacrificial love that Christ showed on the cross I cared enough about that kid that I knew I needed to stand between him and sure destruction because Jesus Christ stood between me and sure destruction. He took the punishment that I deserved. And so folks, the love that we now show to others is to be a reflection of the love that Jesus Christ shows to us. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that today someone would experience that love, possibly, Lord, for the first time that someone would be saved. Lord, I pray for believers that are watching online and those that are here in this room. Lord, I, I pray that we would commit in our heart to you this day. Lord, people aren't committing to me. Lord, I pray that people would commit to you, Lord. I pray that I would demonstrate godly love to a lost world. Lord, I pray that I would demonstrate godly love to, in my family, in my church family. But Lord, we can't do it until we're changed. And so Lord, may your will be done in every heart. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.